Well, on this Mother's Day, it's important to note that moms, dads, grandparents, we all have dreams for our kids, things we want to see happen in their lives, a vision, if you will, for their lives. And that's good. But we need to make sure that the dream, the vision that we have for our kids is the right one. And to illustrate that, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at a mother's dream for her sons. And we're going to see how Jesus needed to adjust her, her vision for her sons. Look there with me, Matthew chapter 20. We're taking a break from Acts this morning. And we're going to look at this passage. We'll be back in Acts next week. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. You may or may not be aware Uh, I've been out of the country. Uh, Jason, our missions pastor, and I were uh, privileged to be sent by you to go to India. We got back Friday night, kind of late, and so we are thrilled to be back. And you'll hear more about the trip in the coming days. Uh, Did some exciting work in the islands that we've adopted. More about that later. And I also got to spend a little bit of time with Trey and Megan and uh, Elizabeth and Micah and Katie Jane sent out from our church and got to have a great visit with them uh, in the northern part of the area where we were. And so just uh, grateful for that opportunity. And so uh, thanks for sending us. And it was a a, a wonderful, wonderful trip. I'm glad to be back. And we're in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. The Bible says, Then the mother, we're talking about a mom here, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, talking to Jesus, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we, we praise you today. You are the reason that we're here. We are so grateful that Jesus saves. We're so grateful that you called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light. We're so grateful that you forgave us of all of our iniquities. We're so grateful, Lord, that you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. We're so grateful, Lord, that you are faithful and we can trust you with our lives. 
And Lord, I just pray that you would draw near in these moments as we study your word. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We believe that if you don't work, then nothing of eternal value or consequence will happen in this moment. But Lord, when you move by your Spirit, taking your word and applying it to our hearts, when you you speak, Lord, things happen. Lives are changed. We are challenged and encouraged and inspired. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just have your way in our midst. God, I pray that you would move in such a way that we would leave today knowing we have met with the living God. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you. We lift you up in these moments. We ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, as you journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and you get to chapter 20, you're getting uh, near to the end of Jesus' life. And it's important to understand that as Jesus prepares to face the crucifixion, he prepares for the glorious resurrection, uh, he knew what was coming. Jesus was... Not a victim, now listen to me, this is important, Jesus was not a victim of circumstances beyond his control. He was orchestrating the entire thing. He knew what was coming. As a matter of fact, look what he says just before this passage we read together in verse 17. The Bible says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He knew how he would die, and he will be raised on the third day. So as Jesus approaches Jerusalem with his disciples, he wants them to know he knew what was coming. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And here's the good news, he went to Jerusalem anyway. Even though he knew he would suffer, even though he knew he would be beaten, even though he knew he would be crucified, he knew that victory would be accomplished by his death and his burial and his glorious resurrection. So he went to Jerusalem in light of those realities. And as he's he's journeying to Jerusalem with the weight of the cross already upon him, a mom comes up. and, And she comes up with a very specific request. And what I want you to do is I want you to follow along with me as we work our way through this passage. Now I want us to notice three parts to this encounter between Mary and really her sons and the other disciples with Jesus Christ. Three parts to this encounter. First of all, I want you to see a mother's request. A mother's request. Did you see it there in verse 20? It says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, we know her from other scriptures as being named Salome. Salome came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. So this mom comes to Jesus and in a very reverent way, she's kneeling before him. She has a request for Jesus for her kids. This looks great at the beginning, right? I mean, she's kneeling before Christ. If, if you told me that this morning you kneeled before Christ with some requests for your kids, I think that's wonderful, right? That's what she's doing. And, and look at what her request is. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, 
say that these two sons of mine, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Now, let's just get this straight. This, this woman, this mother, Salome, she wanted greatness for her sons. That's what she wants. When the kingdom comes, when, when you sit on your throne ruling and reigning over the universe, Salome says, I want one son on your right, one son on your left. I want them to rule and reign with you. I want them to have a prominent role in the kingdom. I want greatness for my sons. Now, let's just say this on the front end. Uh, her desire for greatness was understandable and even commendable. I mean, she's talking about the kingdom, right? When you come in your kingdom, would you, would you set it up so that James is on one side, John is on the other side? And so we understand this mother's desire for her kids to have a prominent role in the kingdom. And it's commendable that she wants this greatness for her sons. But here's the problem. The problem was that she had the wrong definition of greatness. Don't miss that. She had the wrong definition of greatness. And we need to be very careful that when we, listen, when we desire greatness for our kids, we need to be careful that we have the, the right definition of greatness. Because she didn't. And Jesus needs to help her to understand what true greatness is. But we understand, don't we? Moms, we understand her, don't we? She, she wants greatness for her kids. I remember in third grade, I entered a science fair. And uh, I entered a project. And I don't even remember what the project was. But I do remember that I won first place in my age group. And I had a blue ribbon. And I was so proud. And I remember there's a little controversy. Another mom accused me of getting too much help from my mom to win the blue ribbon. Now, listen, she was actually right. I mean, I'll I, I just be honest with you, transparent this morning, all right? Uh, mom helped me a lot. It looked a lot better than I probably would have done without some assistance from mom. So why did mom help me with this science project, you know, get the blue ribbon? Because she wanted good things to happen for her son. I mean, that's what moms do, Right? And so I remember that moment of, of mom wanting me to excel and, 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 and win a prize and get first place. That We understand that. It, we, it's even commendable that moms want this. But we need to make sure that our dream and our vision for our kids is the right dream and vision. And so we've seen the mother's request. But secondly, I want you to see a misunderstood reality. A misunderstood reality. Reality. She, she, again, she did not understand true greatness. Look what it says in verse 22. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. You want your kids to have a prominent role in the kingdom, to rule and reign at my side. You don't understand what precedes glory. Look what he says next. Jesus answered, are you able, after she says you do not know what you're asking, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? At this point, John and James are here, listen to their mom, and they answer his question. They said, we are able. Now here's what Jesus is saying. Before I get to glory, I'm going to drink deeply of the cup of suffering. Now I want to know, 
if, if you're going to follow me, are, are you willing to drink of that same cup? Are you willing to suffer the way I'm going to suffer? And they said, we're able. Bring it on, right? We can do this. We got this. And look how Jesus answers them. You do not know what you are asking. You don't understand how deep the waters are that I'm about to walk through. You don't understand the depth of the suffering I am about to experience. Glory is coming, but before there is glory, there will be difficulty. And he says, you will drink my cup, verse 23. You will suffer, but to sit in my right hand and in my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So here's what Jesus says. James and John... You say you're ready, you're really not, but you need to understand that because of your decision to follow me, in the future you're going to suffer. And we know that James and John suffered. Over in Acts 12, we learn that James was beheaded by King Herod. And we learn that John was exiled to an island called Patmos where he received a vision to write the book of Revelation. So both of them... Death by beheading, suffering on, uh, in, in Roman prison and exile. We know that both of them suffered greatly. They didn't understand it then, but both of them suffered greatly. And so Jesus is trying to help them to understand, here's what, it, if you want to be close to me, if you want to be on my, my right hand and my left hand, here's what it's going to entail. If you look there in your notes, The kingdom of God, Jesus is trying to get this across, does not function like the kingdoms of this world. I want you to hear me carefully. In the kingdom of God, suffering precedes glory. Let me say it again. In the kingdom of God, suffering precedes glory. Jesus was going to be greatly glorified, but he went through great suffering before he would be glorified. Over in Philippians 2, the Bible tells us, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was equal with God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It says, yet he took on human flesh. He left the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven and came to this earth taking on humanity, taking on the form of man, the Bible says. So he empties himself and he takes on humanity and then he lives with great obedience to the Father. The Bible says he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then Philippians says, therefore, because of his his incarnation, and because of his perfect obedience, because he went to the cross in obedience to the Father, he went to the cross for our sins. Because of that, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, Jesus Christ has the name above every name, but he went through great suffering first. Suffering precedes glory. In other words, I want you to hear this, following Christ brings hardship. One of the most disheartening things I've seen as I've traveled around the world, Africa, Asia, South America, Europe, one of the most disheartening things I've seen is the spread of the prosperity gospel among the churches all over this world. 
because of satellites and TBN and all of this false teaching. You have people that are embracing the prosperity gospel. That, hey, listen, if you believe in Jesus, your life will get instantly better. You'll get a raise at work. You'll get a promotion. You'll get a bigger house, a bigger car. Your sickness will go away. Everything is, is, is great if you follow Jesus. And that's why you ought to follow him. Because if you follow him, your life gets better. The only problem with that is the Bible. I mean, tell that to Paul. I mean, Paul says, listen, I followed Jesus and I went hungry and thirsty and I was shipwrecked and I was beaten and stoned and left for dead and on and on and on. Listen, because Paul followed Christ, he went through great hardship. He went through great suffering. So so if we want to see greatness, kingdom greatness in our lives, listen, we better be prepared to suffer. That's the point that he's making here. And he said, well, that's a very cheery message on Mother's Day. That if we follow Jesus, if, if he is Lord of our lives, then, then life's going to be hard? Yeah, could get harder. But look at your next blank. Even though following Jesus brings hardship, if they, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Even though that's true, following Jesus will be worth it. Paul talks of the, of, the, of the glory that will be revealed after he goes through suffering. And I'm telling you, when you follow Christ, no matter where he leads, and you go through difficulty and, and hardship and suffering and pain and tribulation, when you get to heaven... And when your faith becomes sight and you hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, at that moment you'll know it was worth it. Nothing I did for Jesus was wasted. Everything I did for him brought glory to his name. And Jesus has now rewarded my faithful service for him. Wow. So following Jesus will bring hardship, but following Jesus will be worth it. Amen? And so here's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's, he's correcting this misunderstood reality. You know, in a marathon, before you get to the glory of the finish line, you have to run the grueling race, right? Right? It's not fun. I ran one marathon, and I don't plan on ever doing it again. It was awful. I mean, someone asked me how it was. I said, it was awful. It hurt. Before you get to the glory of the finish line, it's, it's grueling. You know what the Bible calls the Christian life? It calls it a a race, an endurance race. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And the race is hard. If they gave Jesus a hard time and you're part of his body and you're following him, they'll give you a hard time. If, if the culture was fickle and turned on Jesus, guess what? Don't be surprised when the culture is fickle and turns on you. But 
when we get to that finish line, we see the glory of Jesus Christ. Our faith becomes sight. We will know at that moment every hardship, every difficulty, every trial, every tribulation was worth it. And so in this passage, we see a mother's request and we see a a misunderstood reality. But, But third and last, I want you to see this magnificent redefinition. Magnificent redefinition. Salome wanted greatness for her sons, but she had the wrong definition of greatness. So Jesus here is going to give her the right definition of greatness. Jesus here defines greatness for his disciples. Look what it says there in verse 24. When the ten heard of it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Here's what's interesting. Jesus had just told them, I'm about to suffer and die on the cross. And all they can do is bicker about their position. Jesus Jesus tells them, I'm about to lay down my life. And all they can do is bicker about who will have the, the rank in the coming kingdom. And it says there that they were indignant at John and James, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the way the, the world works, lord it over them. It's all about power, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Well, what is Jesus saying here about greatness? We see here that God's definition of greatness is vastly different than our culture's view of greatness. He says, listen, in the world, among the, the Gentiles, those that are not worshipers of the one true God, greatness to them is all about power, prominence, authority, achievement, popularity, fame. That's what, that's what greatness looks like to them. But look at this redefinition. He says there in the next verse, It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the definition of Jesus concerning greatness. So what I've done is I've written a one-sentence definition of greatness to just give you, and we're going to break it down and look at the different parts of this definition. But here's the definition. True greatness is serving others as you follow the pattern and purpose of Jesus. True greatness is serving others as you follow the pattern and purpose of Jesus. Now let's just break down that definition. Here's the first part of the definition. Serving others. Notice verse 26, what he says. It shouldn't be like the Gentiles. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then he says in the next verse, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Jesus uses two words here. Servant and slave. Servant is the the basic word for servant in the New Testament, diakonos. But then just to make sure that we're getting it, he goes from servant to the word doulos, which is slave. And that takes it to a whole other level, right? I mean, it's one thing to serve somebody, you know. It's a whole other thing to be someone's slave. 
when you are a slave, you lay down your rights and you serve, listen to me, whether or not it is reciprocated. I remember early on in pastoral ministry, I would spend a lot of time with someone or focus a lot of energy on someone and, and, and be with them and, and, and help them and minister to them. And I remember that you know, they would you know, leave the church or I wouldn't see them anymore or whatever. And I remember being very bothered early on when, when I would serve someone and they didn't appreciate my service. Just really kind of just ticked me off. Like, all, you know, all the time I spent with them, all I've done with them, and, and, and they don't appreciate that. But see, that's not the heartbeat of a slave, is it? That's saying, hey, because I'm serving you, you ought to reciprocate. But that's not how a slave thinks. A slave says, and I'm glad God did this in my life, a slave says that I'm going to serve you, I'm going to put you ahead of my own self, whether or not you reciprocate, whether or not you recognize, I am a slave. That's the definition that Jesus gives us of greatness. It is, it is serving others. A diakonos, a doulos, a, a servant, a slave. That's what Jesus says true greatness is, serving others. And then notice, not only do we serve others, we serve others as we follow the pattern of Jesus. What is the pattern of Jesus? Listen to me. His pattern is utter selflessness. Look what it says back in this text, verse 28. As you serve as a servant or a slave, do it as the Son of Man who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life. You know what Jesus is saying there? The reason I came is to lay down my life for sinners Enemies of God, I came to die for them. Amazing. Now, Jesus had every right to expect to be served by this world. You know why? Because Jesus is eternal God. Think about Jesus' existence before he came to earth. From eternity past, Jesus has always been in loving communion with the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Always in that trinity, the the persons of the Godhead are recognizing each other's worth. And then God created, we know, angels. And we see these little glimpses of heaven where angels are flying around singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, Isaiah 6 says. And these created angels are there to give God, to give Jesus Christ the unceasing worship that he's worthy of, right? So for all of eternity... The worth of Jesus has been magnified and recognized. And then he left heaven and he came to earth. He had every right to demand that humanity would bow their knee and receive him as God and receive him as Messiah and worship him. But that's not what happened, is it? He laid down his life. 
He laid down his life. Utter selflessness. He laid down his rights. He emptied himself. And he left unceasing worship to come to mockery and mistreatment. And a scandalous death on the cross. Utter selflessness. So what kind of service do we give to others? Service that is modeled after the utter selflessness of Jesus. That's his point here. He said, hey, serve, be a slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Utter selflessness. Now, Salome didn't get this in this text. James and John didn't get this in this text. But the Bible records over in Matthew 27 that Salome was standing at the cross with Mary and some other women. Salome saw Jesus hanging, bleeding, suffering, dying, bearing the sins of the world, taking the wrath of God in our place. Salome got to see utter selflessness on display. I bet she understood it then. I bet she understood it then. So, so what do we learn from that? If we want to see what utter selflessness looks like, just look at the cross. If you struggle serving others, look to the cross. If you struggle laying down your life for others, look at the cross. Because when you look at the cross upon which the, the Prince of Glory died... Your richest gain you'll count as lost and pour contempt on all your pride. Look to the cross and you will see utter selflessness on display. So we are to serve others as we follow the pattern and the purpose of Jesus. You notice what he said in verse 28? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, that speaks of the cross, as a ransom for many. That word ransom is lutron. Speaks of a of a a freedom that comes about because someone paid the price. Someone paid the ransom price to set others free. And that speaks of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven and came to this earth taking on humanity and he lived a, a perfect life and of his own will he went to the cross and on the cross he took all of our sin on himself. We as sinners are bound by our sin, bound by the enemy bound by our own sin nature. But Jesus came to die for our sins. He took the penalty that we deserve. He he took the wrath of God in our place so that when we embrace Him as Lord and Savior, His blood is applied to our spiritual account. Our sins are washed away. We are forgiven. Psalm 103, I read it this morning, of all our iniquities. And we are set free. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of Satan, free from the flesh that keeps us under its control. We have been set free. You know why? Because Jesus paid the price. Lutron. That was his purpose. That's why he went to the cross. To die, to set people free. So what should our purpose be? Why should we serve others? To make ourselves feel better? Do we serve just so we say we serve somebody? What is the purpose of our serving? Here it is. The eternal good of others for the glory of God. That's it. That's why you and I ought to serve. The eternal good of others 
for the glory of God. This answers the why question, why we should serve others, so that others can be benefited and moved towards the kingdom so they can experience eternity with Jesus Christ, the eternal good of others for the glory of God. Now let's bring this back to Mother's Day. This definition of true greatness that Jesus had to redefine for them. True greatness is serving others as we follow the the pattern and the purpose of Jesus. Listen to me. This is the vision we ought to have for our kids. Now, I'll be honest with you. This vision is really different than the American dream. You need to be careful about the American dream. Because you know it's possible for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. True greatness is serving others, following the pattern and purpose of Jesus, following in the footsteps of Christ, letting him use their lives. This is the vision we ought to have for our kids. It's what we ought to pray for and train them for and live out before them. That's what true greatness is. So we've got to be careful because we all have the heartbeat of Siloam for our kids, right? We want to see them achieve and do great things and, 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 and you know, get to certain ranks and stations in life. I mean, that, that's, that's natural. And we want to, you know, them to get the right job, get the right education, live in the right place, find the right spouse. And all that's good. I, I'm all for education. I'm all for work ethic and, and, and you know, moving forward to, to, to make a difference in this world. But listen to me. We've got to make sure that our vision of greatness is the same as the vision Jesus gives us in this text. Not achievement, prominence, prominence popularity, fame, but a life that really matters because our kids are following in the footsteps of, of, of Jesus, serving others, following his pattern for his purpose, the glory of God, the eternal good of others. Last night I was talking to my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, and she asked me this question. She said, would you rather be a king or a servant? Now, we weren't even talking about the text this morning. She didn't know what I was going to preach on. Would you rather be a king or a servant? And so I knew what I was going to preach, so I, I gave her the right answer, the biblical answer. I said, well, I'd rather be a servant. And she said, you wouldn't rather be a king? I said, I think I'd rather be a servant. And she said, well, let, she said, now, pretend. Let's pretend for a minute. She knew I was giving her the Sunday school answer. She said, let's pretend. She said, pretend, would you rather be a king or a servant? I said, well, I'd rather be a servant. She said, don't you know that if you were a king, you can sleep all day? (laughs) So we had a little conversation about work ethic, okay? (laughs) Work is a good thing. I said, I'd I'd rather be a servant. And I was able to say, because I knew I was going to preach on, that's what Jesus wants from us. So let me ask you this question. Would you rather be a king or servant? Would you rather be a king or slave? And let me just go a step further. And this is tough. Would you rather your kids be a king, a queen, or someone that serves others following the pattern 
and the purpose of Jesus. Jesus, in his grace, defines for us true greatness. And so here's what I want you to walk away with. True greatness is something we ought to seek for our children as we teach them to serve others for the glory of God. True greatness is what we should seek for our children as we seek them to serve others for the glory of God. Now, if this is what we're going for, it's going to change what we teach our kids, what we model for our kids, how we pray for our kids. But I would submit to you that if we want our kids to make a difference in this world and glorify the Savior, this is the kind of life we should point them to. True greatness. Serving others as we follow the pattern and the purpose of Jesus.